please somebody really, really research real tennis so that it can present on it at some point. I really want to understand that sport because apparently a lot of the um, the pros because I I went down a rabbit hole, um, but apparently a lot of the modern pros in um, real tennis start off in a pro squash player background before they move into real tennis. Apparently the the real tennis ball is much heavier than a tennis. Yeah, ball. It is, well, it's not denser. much heavier. It's oh, what is it? It's seven and a half ounces instead of seven ounces, I think. Oh right, whoever was. Ah, but it is, but but it doesn't bounce nearly as much. That's the thing because it's made of a different material, and I think the weight is distributed slightly differently. Uh, it doesn't bounce nearly as much as a real tennis ball. You mean a lawn tennis ball? Yeah, sorry, not not a real tennis ball. <laughs> They're hand stitched, I think the balls in real tennis. Yeah, they are, and only two companies in the world, I think, still make the rackets: huh. Grays of Cambridge and something in the U.S. They're curved, aren't they? Yeah, they're asymmetric, which I love because you know you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it adds to the asymmetry of the sport. The whole sport is asymmetric. Something that was really cool that I didn't know about real tennis, but you can only uh, change serve if the person who's in the hazard end uh, causes a chase. Basically, like... That's you what have they call to... rallies, isn't it? Chase. No, the chase, you see. That's interesting. The chase occurs when the person in the serving end drops the ball for the second bounce... But that actually, they don't lose the point. Instead, they have the chance to win the point back in the chase when they're in the hazard end. Or something like that. I don't know. That's what I vaguely recall. I'm, I'm literally reading the Wikipedia page in my mind as I speak. This is amazing. <laughs> we need to put together a sporting competition made up of really weird sports that people, you know, cheese rolling, shin kicking, uh, real tennis. Um, what's that? Finnish sport um, where they oh hobby horsing hobby horsing oh, where, yeah. where they hobby run horsing. around with a, with a toy horse you know with a head yeah. and the head, but they do all the equestrian events like um, uh, show jumping and um, uh, dressage and things like that which is bizarre oh another weird Finnish sport wife carrying it's exactly what it sounds like it's a big obstacle race with your wife on your back. And the prize is you win your wife's weight in beer. Wow. That sounds great. Let's <laughs> <laughs> do yeah. that. It sounds hilarious. Hello and welcome to Speaking for Ignorance. I am your host, Grigory Potemkin, the former lover of uh, Ekaterina the Great of uh, the Russian Empire. I, of course, took over the um, Crimean Ilkhanate. Um, welcome. Uh, actually, again, I'm actually Henry Holmes. That was my chameleon-like ability allowing me to disguise myself. Whoa. Whoa, audio camouflage. I definitely thought he was yeah. Russian. What a genuine audience reaction. That's what I wow. like. That's what I live for, isn't it? Okay, <laughs> who's next? Uh, I'm Daniel, uh, astrophysicist, and... Um, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Easter Daniel. I, I haven't, I haven't thought, thought, thought of an intro again this week. I didn't think of one. Um, hi, guys. My, my name is Jack. I am a... Um, charity doer for a award-winning charity and i'm also a self-declared excel wizard hi guys i'm sid i'm also an astrophysicist 
What's the uh, first question then, Sid? Well, the first question was actually proposed by Daniel. And it's, on a scale of 1 to 10, how well can you picture something in your mind? So this was a... This question was inspired by another podcast I listened to, uh, which will not be named. Uh, No plug here. Um, Yeah, so on this podcast, they asked... um, They were talking about um, differences in the way people... Like, their mind works and pictures things and visualizes things in their mind. So they they used this uh, question to sort of start off the conversation, which was, on a scale of 1 to 10, how well can you picture say, uh, something, I don't know, like an apple in your mind? So, like, with 1 being, like, extremely, like, you can't physically picture something in your mind. It's just a... You, you know what an apple is, you... You know what it looks like, but you can't like bring that image into your mind. And ten is where like the apple is is basically you close your eyes and it's right there in front of you. <laughs> to be honest, I'm much closer to the to the one end of the scale. Yeah, I'd say I'm close to to the ten end. Yeah, if you say ten is you close your eyes and see it, that's ten. Yeah, because I'm a really? very visual learner. I really yeah, wow. struggle to picture things in my mind. Well, really throughout throughout our entire degree, I basically got through courses by being able to picture things and move things around in my head, and like looking at things from different angles. For example, yeah, no, I think I'm otherwise I don't I don't exactly get the same. It. I'm not yeah, very I, good at maths. Yeah, <laughs> you know, before I before I'd uh, thought about this, I just assumed everyone thought in the same way. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't realize that some people can picture things in 3D and move things in that, like, visualize and be able to move things in their head uh, until I mm-hmm. spoke to someone who was like, no, no, you're you're the weird one. Yeah, I can do that. I, I only picture things in, in monochrome. Oh, you don't, so you don't see color at all? In, in my mind, no. <laughs> apart, well, apart from when I'm asleep, when I'm dreaming. Um, when I'm dreaming, th- those images are as crisp as the reality I experience on a day-to-day basis. But in terms of just consciously using that ability, if I were to close my, close my eyes and attempt to sort of uh, bring an image to the forefront of my mind, I really struggle with that because it's normally just black darkness. And then I have to really sort of concentrate to bring any sort of image out of that. That's interesting. Yeah, Jack, what about you? Yeah. Wait, 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 hang on. Um... Okay, so like this is really difficult because I, I have no idea like w- what you guys normally experience, but like for me, it is always black, right? And I, I'm, well, I'm not like none actually... of us do know what each other experience <laughs> okay. because we can't, we can't, we can't. Yeah, truly so maybe know. maybe starting yeah. with Jack, we each go around, and when you, for example, I think picturing an apple is a pretty easy exercise, but if you want to start, Jack, try and do it, and then just try and relay to us what you quote-unquote see or don't like try try to tell us what your thought process is without obviously dissecting it too much because that's going to contaminate the experiment but if you just naturally try and picture something in your mind what do you actually see i mean it all feels very fuzzy to me um i i I can i can picture people and things and places that i've been and seen but before but if you if you like if you're talking about like abstract ideas like apples right or i don't know tables or chairs right i can think of a chair that i've already seen before but trying to like 
trying to think of a like hypothetical table or chair or even apple. That's that's something that's like almost impossible for me. Right. So you can't like create new images in your no, mind. Not at all. What about you, Holmes? I'm pretty much in the in the same boat as um, Jack actually, because I remember because it's a big thing that lots of lots of actors use as part of their process is sort of summoning an an image um, into their minds. Or some actors actually who are really gifted at this kind of thing will actually overlay the, the space, the, the fourth wall especially, with what they imagine that wall to look like, and so they literally will not. They'll be aware the audience are there because it's not psychosis, right? It's not psychosis, but they are, but they know where everything is on this wall. Whereas I, I don't see it at all. I'm very aware that the audience are there. Um, the one time I have used imagery as a sort of exercise, it was when I was uh, doing a First World War play, and I managed to visualise um, the Somme. But that's only because I've seen hundreds and hundreds of photographs of that as part of my research. So I think actually what I did was just call to mind Remember, one of the photographs yeah. rather than... Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. So uh, I'd say, uh, going back to the Apple example, if I try to picture it, I think I can picture it quite well. Like, I can physically see the Apple. Like, I can tell it's green. It's got a little stalk. It's got a la- label on it. I don't know what the label says. Like, it's a, that's a bit fuzzy. Uh, and I'm not really sure where the apple is. It's on a table, but don't know what table, where the table is. It could be a wooden table or a marble table. It's vague and changes. But the actual image of the apple is pretty solid. Well, maybe not solid, but... As solid as it could be in your mind. Yeah. That's why I'm saying I'm more like an 8 or a 7. That's crazy. Because it's not like... Well, I can't... Yeah, so... First of all... Apples are red, not green. <laughs> yeah, like, mine's green. Well, if you, it's because we define the scale as 10 being, you can picture something well in your mind that I said 10. Uh, but every time well, I picture something in my mind... 10 is as if you're looking at it in real life. Like, you close oh, your no. eyes and it's basically the same as looking at it. No. Obviously not literally, because... Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Like, I can recall images into my mind quite easily... And I can, for example, if I'm looking at this apple, I can place it in different environments. Uh, I can look at it from different angles. I can see how light shines on it from different places and basically move the little glare square, I guess, around. You move it around and blend it, right? The thing is, (laughs) I was, yeah, yeah. But when you mentioned, oh, there's a label on it immediately, because my apple didn't have a label on it, but then I could put a label on it. And then zoom in and, you know, quote-unquote read what it was. But I can't view that level of detail when I don't... uh, When I'm just looking at the apple from afar. So your mind has a zoom and enhance function. (laughs) Yeah, that's what your mind should do, right? You you should be able to just go in and just edit things and then go back out. But what I imagine the zooming in on the label is a totally separate thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a different... I go into a different zone to zoom into the label. And when I zoom back out... The label is there, but it's blank again. I don't know if you've done many spatial reasoning tests and things like that, but I'm very good at them. Despite the fact I can't picture something in my mind and turn it round, I am actually quite good okay. at that. Yeah, yeah. no, what I will do is like generate the shape in 3D and then turn it round in my mind. Yeah. And then see if it's the same, basically. But it's super interesting about the, the whole rotating thing, because like 
I I can't imagine okay picking things up and like moving shapes in my mind, but I can still play Tetris, right? Like I I, I can see a shape and I know if I turn it, it's going to be like that, but I won't necessarily be able to imagine moving it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. Can you feel the apple? Like, can, do you have the sense of touch when you go to reach for it? Because I can feel it as if as if it was here. I, obviously, I'm not activating those parts of my fingers, right? I, I'm not actually feeling it, but I sense the feeling as if it were there. No, I can't really. I can't really feel it in the same way as I can picture it. Like, I I know the sensation of an apple. I can sort of abstractly know what the feeling would feel like but i'm not actually like which i guess is sort of similar to what you go through with visuals you're like you know what a thing looks like but you can't actively see it in your mind yeah yeah so can you jack and holmes can you feel an apple i weirdly can but i'm it's something that i just am able to do but it's it's quite tactile i mean it, it it has a direct um I'm actually quite a good mime because I can I know where everything is in space. I can track all of the the object the objects in inverted commas that don't actually exist. I do remember a, a tutor of mine in first year. I was doing a scene and every and you know a, a sensible person would have just gone and got a cup and gone and got the other props from around the studio. I didn't know. I just mimed them all, and she went. Okay, I've got notes for you on the acting, but that was a masterclass in mime. I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Jack? Can you feel apples? That's a great question. It's, it's something I've not I've not really thought about before. But now that you say it, I mean, yeah, definitely. I, I can definitely like imagine the texture of an apple and like the texture of silk and like cloth and then rock. Um, but it's not like it's not like crisp clear. Just like how, like, it's so my, my imagining uh, of like objects isn't crisp clear either. Just to just to kind of like illustrate a little bit more. When I was imagining the apple, it was no more than like a mere outline that like a child could draw and like a little stalk, and then that was it. I'm much better at pick uh, at visualizing the feeling of things than I am visualizing the actual object, like in my mind. So if I if I picture the apple, I can give it color, but I have to actively think to give it color, and it's more like I'm looking at segments of the apple, and then my mind is moving pretty quickly, coloring, and yeah. filling in the blanks. Right? Uh, I can picture it, I can move it, and I can do all this manipulation and whatever, but feeling an apple is second nature to me in my mind. So is it is it the physical feeling or is it the sensations of uh, that you associate with an apple? Well, I can imagine running my finger over the stem, or if there's a leaf that, or over the actual skin, if there's any surface imperfections that, how hard or soft the apple is, uh, the bottom, like a little spiky bit. And you do that in your mind, because I, yeah. I find that I, I, when I do that, I'm quite tactile. It's, it's just a, it's associated with my actual... As I, as I said that... As hands, I said that, my in my mind, I things. moved around the apple to feel it. Same, same. So it's I, almost I, like my camera yeah. has the sense of touch yeah, and smell like... and hearing and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I can picture those individual bits of the apple, but mm. I can't really feel them in the same way as I can visualize them. I'm going to totally flex here. I can visualize it, feel it, smell it, even taste 
the apple. Can you hear the apple? <laughs> I can actually. I can hear the crunch of the apple. Uh, oh, I can yeah. hear it as it falls out of a tree. Yeah. So, uh, s- sound. I'm also quite good at recalling and yeah, imagining. Like I can hear crunch of someone biting into an apple. Yeah. But I have or... a pretty musical background, yeah. so that yeah. might. Yeah, be... like music, I can like recall. Yeah, in my same. Mind. I sometimes like pretty... to say. Yeah, I, I can like play entire pieces in my head. And yeah, play an entire, entire song. Yeah, it won't. Obviously, it's not the same quality, right? But to me, it sounds the same because that's how I perceived it. And I think I have a pretty good musical memory. What 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 goes on in your mind when you read a book, specifically a fiction book? Because for me, I will actually picture the scene in my mind. Yeah, me too. And the characters and stuff, and we'll give them individual voices and. Oh, okay. I I try to give them individual voices because I like training things like voice acting on the side, but it's hard for me to give them individual voices because when I'm reading a book, I don't hear the characters. I hear them through the narrator, but I do picture the scenes, but I also picture them in the art style that is, for example, on the cover, or if it's a film that has a book, or rather a book that's been developed into a film, and I've seen the film or footage of it, then I'll picture it in that style. Sid, Sid, when you're reading... Does the narrator narrate in your voice, or does it have its own its own voice? Naturally, in my voice, it well in my head voice, but yeah, I can change the voice. I can I can make it whatever I want. It's just naturally it defaults to my voice. Yeah, your your default like thinking voice yeah. in your head. Yeah. Okay. Same. But I can give certain characters different voices. I can, but it's difficult for me. I'm trying to get better. Also, uh, similarly, like when I'm reading messages like from you guys i'll read it in your voices really what i'm reading i tried to do that i don't know what voice i read it in but also i read really quickly and sometimes i don't vocalize uh the information i will just skim through it and i'm technically reading it well my eyes are going across the page faster than i can actually vocalize the information sometimes i don't get all of it but oftentimes i can just it's like what i'm reading when i'm reading text messages from you I'll like imagine you speaking them to me. Yeah. Basically what I'm doing. I can do that, but I don't. <laughs> I don't naturally do that. I wish more people did that because yeah. you, you get so much more uh from it if you infer the tone. <laughs> because yeah, you know, exactly. sometimes you'll read a message and if you, you haven't really thought about what the tone of the message is, you go you just read it as though it's perfectly genuine. Well, that's odd. Or, or something comes across as cold when it's not meant that way. And it's... For me, when, when it comes to, to reading, it's it's just words. It's just like my own internal voice just reading out loud. It's... Do you read fiction, Jack? Or do um, you just uh, all business now? I Yeah, well, I... <laughs> I, 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 used to, I used to read fiction, but but now it's entirely non-fiction. Really? Too much entirely? Business. So, Jack, you said things are just words to you when you read a book. I don't know how much this makes sense, but if you do you watch a lot of films? Yeah. Or series or TV shows, things like that? I do. When you can you can you remember them? Like, can you play them back in your head? Um, like if you really try it doesn't have to be perfect obviously but can you sort of remember scenes from it that were really yeah, iconic definitely. okay see that's interesting because you can remember things visually but you can't create ah, an abstract uh concept exactly. but if i if i had if the image of an apple had really implanted itself really made an impact then maybe you would be able to remember something like that as well yeah what about you Holmes? 
Um, I'm more, I'm more similar to uh, Jack, but I can I tend to sort of think in terms of really striking still. In in terms of my my visual memory, but I have a, yeah. a I have a very good memory for dialogue, which is <laughs> fortunate yeah. given my uh, profession. I, yeah. I mean that's also something that I have improved over the last four yeah. years. No, because, like you know, my memory for specifically reading my memory of specific quotes and stuff isn't that good but so when i'm like recalling a plot of a book or something i will picture the scenes that i imagined in my mind rather than remembering specific quotes or i saw a very interesting um interview with uh bernard cornwell the author of numerous historical fictions and who wrote famously wrote the sharp series um but he said part of the reason he drew that series to a conclusion was because when they started making the actual TV series of it and they cast Sean Bean, after a while he was picturing Sean Bean when he was writing Sharp and he was quite aware of the fact that his editor was picking him up on a lot of inconsistencies because Sharp in the books has dark hair, is from the south of England, Sharp in the series is from Sheffield and is blonde. So, you know, it's really, it it became very difficult for him to keep that consistency. Yeah, like if I read a book... Uh, based on a TV, or that's turned into a TV show or a movie, I'll picture the actors and characters from that mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. So, like, uh, for example, when I read Harry Potter, I was imagining Harry Potter looking like Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, same. And imagine uh, Ron looking like Rupert Grint and stuff. And then there'll be like contradictory descriptions in the book, and I'm like, uh, that doesn't quite <laughs> match up with the picture in my head. I skip those. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm like, dialogue no, that's not only. Canon. That's what you yeah. read in books. Yeah, yeah, and skip, I'll, skip and I'll imagine the dialogue in their voices. Yeah, same. I don't want to criticise uh, Anthony Horowitz too much, even though I thought his last Alex Ryder book was a um, cynical cash grab. I didn't know he made another one. He did, yeah, and it's oh, no. not as good. And it also, he forgets his own lore. He confuses Ben Daniels from Snakehead with Wolf from um, the first two books, and he conflates oh. them and makes them the same character, and you're going, they're not the same character. Ben Daniels is Fox. He's not Wolf, you idiot. Yeah. I, I mean, you created this universe. <laughs> I can't believe you confused that, moron. <laughs> I am just going, I can't believe his editor didn't spot this. That's crazy. Yeah. G- given that I'm, I'm a reader, I, I, and I've yeah. spotted this. And you know, as nerdy as you might be about the books, you shouldn't be the one picking up the inconsistencies. Exactly. Like... <laughs> yeah, in conclusion, uh, fuck you, Anthony Horowitz, you sell out. <laughs> Oh, oh no, we don't. We don't want to get sued, we're, guys. We're calling you out. <laughs> so that, that's so, a great conclusion. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Our it's, conclusion to how well on a scale of one to ten do you picture things in your mind? Fuck you, Anthony Horowitz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say seven. I'm gonna I'm gonna ramp it up to twelve. I, I thought I nailed this out test. Of 10. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say you can picture it beyond reality. <laughs> I'm gonna say yeah. four. I'm gonna say a soft two. I'll dial it down to a ten. Wow. Okay. Wow. So well, it's only because I think I can I can use all my senses in my mind. Yeah, it's it's intriguing to see how uh, our brain. Intriguing to see how poorly uh, I do science, given that I can picture things in my mind. <laughs> Sid, the most mistake you're making in your mind is that you don't have your physics engine turned on. Oh, that's true, yeah. That duo usually have collision off. We'll <laughs> hack on. <laughs> What's next, Sid? 
Well, the next thing is you were supposed to present something, Jack. Yeah, you're 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 our weekly Jack. presenter. What are you presenting? Great. I mean, I that's that's fantastic because um I I definitely have something really really great for us for us all today. Um, I guess my area of expertise today um is going to be on social mobility, and more specifically. Um, employability skills, right? Social mobility is basically like the idea that your your social class plays a big part on how difficult it is for you in life to pro- progress somewhere else, right? So it, it's one of the type of disadvantages, right? So there are many different types of disadvantages. They have various different effects and um, um, they uh, affect people on, on different levels depending on who you are. And, and your sort of upbringing, right? So, you know, there's obviously, you know, if you're, if you're born a female opposed to a man, you know, that's going to have some influence on you. Same as if, you know, if you're born black or, or Asian or, you know, any other ethnicity, all of those, like, all of those life experiences are very different. And it's, it's very, very similar to what it's like being born. No, it's not very much like, um, but yeah, you, you experience disadvantages if you're born in the working class as opposed to uh, middle class or you know, upper class. And that's that's what I'm talking about today. Um, and yeah, so I guess my area of expertise is really employability, um, employ, employ, employability skills, really. So we, we've basically found that those from... Um, working class backgrounds who go to university whilst their like academic grades might catch up but by, by the time they, they finish university their employability skills haven't right and there are many factors to that right so a lot of working class people they don't have their, their like networks and their sort of like support structures around them to understand you know what sort of opportunities to be applying for when it comes to like internships and spring weeks and training contracts and stuff um and also they, they tend to do less they they tend to perform less well in them right so um in terms of like interviews they've never had like someone to talk to in terms of getting interview coaching support um there are lots of like specific industry um interview technical skills which one needs and like a lot of the time where students get that those technical skills from are from their peers, are from like their father's friend who they talk to who works in this industry, right? So you can see how that plays a massive impact, right? And I guess something which I do genuinely have like a big level of expertise on is employability skills with the consulting sector, right? So uh, they're very competitive to, to get into. Um, and, some, and something which they've as an industry they've all adopted is something called consulting case interviews right um and they're 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 designed to be very selective to make sure that they they get the the top talent in who can do this sort of very niche sort of work right but in actuality what's happened is um it's it's become like this this gatekeeper um and a lot of people who don't realize how difficult these case interviews are, they don't realize that they're even supposed to be preparing for it. Whereas um, a lot of middle-class students who realize, yeah, they are going to be really difficult. They're like hiring people to help coach them through these like case interview sessions. In fact, they, there's like a massive market 
in just teaching people how to do these case interviews. Um, so the case interviews are sort of intended as um, a meritocratic filter, but they've actually become sort of a, a bar to entry for some people because they they don't have access to the kind of resources they need to to practice and essentially you know do mock interviews and, and crib and do all the prep for for this process definitely like yeah yeah that, that that's it um yeah and and, and there's there's like a lot to it I, I've I've basically worked with the, the, the charity that, that I work for to develop this like seven part course to, to, to just give people like this crash course and how to do them, how to do them correctly. Um, but it, it's really difficult because a lot of the websites where the resources exist, they are like behind paywalls, right? Um, or there'll be like a few free trials and, and, and then it'll encourage you to pay. So it's really disheartening for my students when they're, they're putting in all this work and they're trying really hard, but they, they know that, you know, those kids who can just throw, throw money uh, at this problem, they can, they can tackle it significantly easier. So I've got a question, Jack. What do you think universities can do better to balance the playing field? And as a follow-up, is it something that should be focused on even earlier since some people don't even go to university. Oh, definitely. I think you should focus on it from secondary school and stuff. I mean, I had careers advice in secondary school yeah, as well. But, you know, we I don't know about you guys. I remember it being tragically bad and not yeah, really... No, I, no. I absolutely hated so, it. So, Jack, yeah. from being in the industry yourself, what can people actionably do to make okay. it better? Okay, cool. Um, I guess there's a lot of parts to that question. Um, let's just break it down. So... Initially, you asked me about universities and and what universities can be doing to make to to, to make the sort of like playing field easier. Um, and I think there's definitely lots of things that they, they can be doing, and there's a lot a lot of things they can be doing on different levels, right? So, yeah, universities can be partnering with um, organisations that exist out there specifically to to fight this issue. You know, there's there's two like there's there's a wonderful charity called the access project who do, does a lot of like coaching for like um a, a bit between a level students and university students and a, a level students lower same with um a company called coach bright same with um another organization called define gravity um okay there are various initiatives out there to, to both level people in terms of their, their grades and their employability skills um Yes, and then what what can people do? Well, if you're a person and if you work at a workplace, then I presume people have had to, you know, people are hired to work at places, right? Which means you can help open that, that door to other people, right? So maybe you can go on Google and maybe you can find out what sort of um, charities exist in your, circle, uh, in your local area. And you can get them involved with, with your workplace. Um, and then Daniel asked about, well, no, actually Sid asked whether we should be doing this earlier. Uh, yes, definitely, right? I, I, I don't think it's, I, I, I don't think it should just be the lucky few who, who, who reach the, the sort of like university level that should get, get access to these sort of things. I, I think it is everyone. Um, yeah, and something which we're trying to do, which we're actually trying to compile um, sort of like a, a written brochure, like a magazine to give 
sort of um, boil down like job advice to, to to like young people so so that's like sixth form above so any sixth form that can kind of really go through and really understand okay these are like the options in front of me right um, I remember when when I was when I was you know, a sixth former, I, I I had no idea what, what sort of industries existed. I, I had no now, idea. For what. people outside the UK, sorry to interrupt, Jack. For people outside the UK, that's seventeen, eighteen, the end of school. That's right. Yeah, twelfth yeah. grade, eleventh and twelfth grade, um, mm. roughly. If you know. And I, I I think a big issue that that is well, a big issue in the, the UK is that the the quality of sort of like careers advice is wildly varying um across the country some some schools do it fantastically and some schools have have like literally no one so maybe we should be maybe we should like be be pulling that that sort of standard up on the, on a national scale what would you say is um like the main differences between these schools and why some careers advice is better than others is it just a uh of a reason of funding like some schools just can afford to have a, a much better careers advisor and stuff and some just don't have the spare money to make it and so the students just uh, don't have access to those opportunities okay um yeah i i think it's it's a predominantly funding based issue but there is also like another element to it right because I guess if you have a careers advice advisor who is telling a student, okay, you should be, you know, taking on these unpaid internships, doing these sort of things, and that student can't afford to because in his summer he normally takes up a part-time job, so you know he can afford to to do things. That's just not appropriate advice for them, right? You know, he can't afford to to take that unpaid internship. So I guess. Another thing we can be doing on a sort of national scale is making sure, hey, if you are an employer, stop giving out unpaid internships, right? It, it's it's actively blocking people out. Yeah, so when we were still at uni, I applied to quite a few unpaid internships just because, to me, it wasn't a problem to do so. Obviously, I couldn't do it forever, but it was more important for me to build that rapport with the company and potentially work there later. I didn't get any of them, but I did apply to a few. At the same time, when I was applying for it, I didn't say that I was willing to be unpaid. It's just, if it turned out to be unpaid, I wouldn't have had as much of a problem with it as, it wouldn't have been a deal breaker for me. Yeah, you you have the luxury of not having to worry about money. Yeah, for, like, as a student, yeah, that's a big thing. So would you say that's... um... Uh, one of the main reasons against uh, unpaid internships because it uh, more favours um, more well-off students who can have the luxury of not um, requiring a a salary or an income. Yeah, there's a definite bias. Yeah, compared to poorer students who are maybe doing uh, less technically skilled work, but they're doing a lot more of it to make ends meet. Definitely, definitely. I, I, yeah, and the thing that really, the thing that really annoyed me was big companies, or at least companies that could afford to pay interns that chose not to, simply to cut corners because they could. I understand if you're a startup with four people, you can't afford to pay an intern, 
And if that intern chooses to work there, that's of their own volition. And, you know, you're upfront about this is unpaid. And if they take it, they take it. But if you can afford to pay them, I definitely think you should. And make it clear that you are. Well, if you if you can't afford to be taking on work right now, should you should you be taking on work? I I I would say no. You know, um, it depends. You... It depends if you advertise this internship. I often just emailed companies I was interested in and told them I'd be interested in working with them. I think I think it's okay if you have um, dedicated programs to educate people on what your what your your business is what you do and, and and why your business is special right um but having unpaid internships you know where someone is giving value to, to your company um i i i think that's actually wrong uh, it's a huge huge problem in the arts and it, it is a huge barrier to entry for a lot of people i i don't really understand when you you look at a lot of the, the top actors in the uk for example why people are ever surprised when they find out what school they went to. I mean, Tom Hardy, for instance, who people often sort of look at, they go, oh, he plays a lot of, you know, rougher, down and dirty sort of like, you know, he plays a lot of um, sort of criminal working class parts. He plays a lot of those. But he he went to Drama Centre and he went to, I can't remember if he went to Harrow or Eton, but I, I can't remember which one. But, you know, he's w- one of the sort of money is not an issue yeah he's he comes from a moneyed background he's actually from what would typically be called an incredibly posh family and actually he he, but he arguably takes parts that should perhaps go to working class actors but you go where are those working class actors and they don't uh, there aren't as many of them as there arguably should be given that even a lot of them don't get in in the first place because you know there isn't the outreach. The um, there's a different attitude to the, the performing arts in in a lot of um, comprehensive schools compared to the private system because the private system can afford to um, invest in artistic pursuit. You know they ha- like uh, Eton and Eton has one of the best theatres in the country. It's a school it doesn't need a theatre that good. But um, you know when resources are cut in in the state system, it is often at the expense of the performing arts. The issue is that um, because so, so many opportunities are just so uh, oversubscribed where you have like hundreds of applicants per, per space, right? Um, e- even if you have like one in one in 20 people who, who, who can afford to, to, to be unpaid for an internship, if, if, they, if they say, all right, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally willing to do as unpaid, it, it gives no incentive for that, that, that company. To have a paid intern, which 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 is leading to this sort of um, gatekeeping. Yeah, it's, no, an, no, it's an arms race. I don't. I don't think. Uh, yeah, but I don't think that's going ever going to change. Like the idea that someone will want to work for a company for free, that idea is not going to go away. Mm, right. Right. Um, I. But I do agree with you that companies should not advertise unpaid internships. I think I stand with you when you said that if someone's contributing to the value of their company but not getting anything out of it apart from quote-unquote experience that is essentially a crime but yeah should it not be if it's not a crime it's criminal to do that to people Uh, essentially work them for free i had another question jack go on changing tack now assuming that 
I'm a student who doesn't have very good employability skills. What's the best thing I can do? If I'm nearing the end of college or university, I'm going into the uh, industrial world. I've never really written any good CVs. I haven't really, I haven't got good interview practice. What's like the best sort of actionable tasks I can do to prepare myself for that? Okay. Um, I, or this, this, this might just be me being a bit of a people person, but um, something which I think really helps is just speaking to people. Right. Um, if you aren't really sure what sort of industry you're interested in, and I'm, I imagine you, you, you probably aren't, aren't. Most people, m- most people don't know. That, that's perfectly okay. Um, but it just means that you have to speak to a few people. Obviously, um, a lot of affluent, um, uh, a lot of affluent young people can, you know, just go to their families and see. Okay, um, who, who in my family network knows someone who works as a actuary, let's say, and, and can I, you know, set up a conversation with them? Or who do I know who is a lawyer? Let's talk to them. Um, but you know, you might not have that sort of opportunity. That's okay. Um, there are organizations out there which you can Google. I can't name them because obviously one of them <laughs> I am going to work for and then the others will be our competitors. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, you can find those. Something that I think is really useful is mentorship, right? So you can get mentors through you know charities like that, but also you can find them by, by, by yourself. So when I was at university, I knew that I was interested in the charity sector. I knew that I was interested in this field, right? So I reached out to various people in this industry. Uh, I, I talked to them, I talked about their experiences and I talked about their, their sort of like journey up there, right? And I guess what, what I was doing really, I was kind of just looking at them and be like, hey, help me. Like, I just need a hand up. I have no idea what I'm doing. Can, can you please like just show me how? Um, and then I'd spoke to them and they, they wouldn't, you know, they, they wouldn't, be able to really help me they, 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 they couldn't help help me up any more than I could really help someone else up right now um, and the thing is you, you kind of have to, have to find your own way so you have to go out there find out what exists what interests you and think okay what does my CV look like now and what do I need to do to to, to make it look like the, the, the perfect candidate right so when, when, when I do CV reviews, I, I, I think there's like, there is the stuff you can change now, right? So there are like the, the typos and the imperfections and the like silly formatting that you can fix. Um, but like long-term changes, you do have to go away and you've got to think about and do yourself, right? So I see a lot of CVs where they're just lacking in leadership experience and that's okay. Um, but you got to think, okay, what can I do in, yeah, it, between now and like the next five months to get that leadership experience you know maybe that's going back to university and um applying for you know that that present position or the treasurer position in a student society maybe that's starting up your own student society or you know it's doing x it's volunteering for its charity it it, it could be anything right it really depends on what your interests are and it depends on where you want to go but i think a great place is to to start having a few conversations, working out where do you want to go and trying to work out with someone else what, what you might have to do together. Okay. I've got the now the opposite question. So no longer as a student, but let's say I'm interested in helping people get into my field. I could be whoever. 
I'll say focus on the UK at first and then maybe um, some more broader things. What can I do if I'm if I actually care about getting people uh, to a high level of employability, uh, leveling the playing field for everyone? What is it? What are some things that I can do to help that? You should Google social mobility charities or maybe even social mobility coaching charities. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think there is a there is a load of good that that, that mentorship can do. And it's something that you should keep an eye out on. Um, what else can, can an everyday person do? Um, there are like a lot of insight days and open days um, at, very, uh, at various companies and stuff. You should try and look out and see if you can get involved in that, right? Something which is really fantastic for like increasing sort of applicant diversity is just having a diverse set of people at open days, right? So I've, I've been to countless open days where you know, the entire panel is going to be like, you know, old, like old white men, just, just nothing but, right? And I can see that when there is a, a diverse set of people, right? So when I see more, more, more women up there or more people from working class backgrounds or BAME backgrounds, um, I can see that people from those, students from those demographics do engage better with that and they're more likely to yeah. apply, right? Yeah, it's something that's familiar. Mm. So they're going to they can latch on to that. Well, it, it's, it's more like, okay, I can see that there are people like me who have done this. Yeah, exactly. I, I can do this too. Uh, yeah, so Jacques, sort of a concluding statement for you? I think diversity and inclusion is, is, is a really difficult topic. Um, but as all things, it's just something really good to be aware of, right? So if you can, if you can think, okay, what is my employer doing to increase diversity and inclusion? Maybe you can find out what they're, they're already doing, right? And maybe you can get involved in that. And if they aren't doing anything, well, maybe you can think, okay, what would I like my employer to, to be involved in? And can you start that, 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 that ball rolling, right? Can you connect someone from that charity with someone in your HR department. Right. I think that's a good place to end the section. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Speaking from Ignorance. Let me tell you where you can find us. We are on Anchor FM, Spotify, YouTube, sometimes. Belatedly. Uh, <laughs> and other podcasting services are available. Except iTunes. Uh, yeah, not iTunes. We're not on that. You can find us on Twitter, at from ignorance is the handle you can email us any questions queries feedback at speaking.ignorance at gmail.com next week the question i've got is what's something new you've tried recently yeah okay real tennis (laughs) i I do like genuinely want to try it now so do i so do i (laughs) the next presenter is me thanks for listening everybody see you next week